Hello, I'm Ross Royden, the Vicar of Christ Church Kowloon Tong here in Hong Kong. Thank you for listening to my podcast. This podcast is for Easter Day. I wish all the listeners to my podcast a very happy Easter. May you know the joy that the risen Christ gives to those who know him. The transcript of the talk can be found on my website, rossroyden.com. It is also posted in the Christchurch Facebook group. Please share the link to the podcast with anyone who you think may find it of interest. The next podcast will be next week for the second Sunday of Easter. I wish you and your family God's blessing and peace this Easter and in the week ahead. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it is written in St. John's Gospel, chapter 20, beginning to read at the first verse. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the Gospel of the Lord. We have come today to the last of the four characters I want to look at for Holy Week and Easter this year. I've chosen Mary Magdalene for today, both because she features prominently in our Gospel reading and because she was the first witness of our Lord's resurrection. Mary Magdalene, however, is probably the most difficult of the four characters to talk about, not because of what the Gospels do or don't say about her, but because of the common distortions to her image 
that are commonly found, all of which make it harder to understand her as a person. The first reference to her in the four Gospels occurs in St. Luke's Gospel. It is worth quoting in full. Soon afterwards, he, that is Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. This is not only the first reference to Mary Magdalene, it is the only reference to her until we get to the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. Mary herself would, of course, have been known to the first readers of the gospel. Firstly, she would have been known personally to some of them. The characters in the gospels didn't cease to exist after Jesus' death and resurrection, apart, that is, from Judas, who hanged himself. They would have been members of church communities, and people would have known them. Secondly, others would have known about her from the stories they had heard about our Lord's death and resurrection. The Gospel's concern is with her part in the story of Jesus, and it is her relationship to him that is the key, as we shall see, for understanding her. But first, we need to bring Mary Magdalene's image into focus and deal with the various distortions to it. St. Luke is describing a preaching tour of Jesus through the cities and villages of Galilee. On this tour, his closest disciples, known as the Twelve, are with him, as well as, St. Luke tells us, women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. These women provided for them out of their resources. This may mean that Mary Magdalene was from a wealthy background. Rich people get ill and possessed, as well as anyone else. But it may denote other types of service as well. As with other background details in the story of Jesus, we are not told because that was not what the gospel writers were interested in. And initially in the history of the church, much of the background of the story would already be known to the first audiences of the gospel stories. That Mary Magdalene had been severely disturbed is clear. And we are meant to understand that it was Jesus who healed her and healed the two other named women, Joanna and Susanna. Also clear is that Mary Magdalene traveled with Jesus and that the journey took her eventually to Jerusalem, where she is one of those who watched Jesus being crucified. The Gospels also list her as one of the women who first visited the tomb where Jesus was buried and found it empty. After finding the tomb empty, the women, we are told, all report back to the apostles who also go to the tomb and find it empty, just as the women have reported. St. John then, alone, has this account of Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene. So far, so good. The problem is, however, that after this, understanding Mary becomes difficult because of how what we know of her is distorted by those who wish to use her image for their own purposes. In the same way that Mary Magdalene in the Gospel had to have seven demons cast out of her, there are seven distorted images that each need to be banished if Mary is to be presented to us clearly today and we are to learn from her. Firstly, 
Mary the name. The distortion begins with Mary's name itself. The demon of historical inaccuracy brings with it all the other demons of distortion. And we can see the distortion beginning even with speculation about Mary's name. At first it seems harmless enough, but it opens the way for more harmful distortions to come. As we have seen, Mary was one of the most popular girls' names at the time. To distinguish her from all the other Marys, many of whom are in the Gospels, she was known as Mary Magdalene. Magdalene refers to Magdala, a village on the side of Galilee. Magdala means tower in Hebrew and got its name most likely from the geography of the area. Magdala was a busy fishing village. The village has only recently been discovered and excavated. It is one of the most exciting archaeological sites in Galilee, and there are not one, but two synagogues that have been discovered there. Some of us have been following the virtual pilgrimage for Lent, led by a member of a wonderful church community there, known simply as Magdala. This, you would think, is all straightforward enough, but recently there have been what are best described as sentimental speculations that Mary was called Magdalene, not simply or so much because of where she came from, but because of her own towering faith in Jesus. The name Magdalene being seen as referring to her faith rather than the place. It's good sermon stuff, and at first sight seems harmless enough. But once we have started to leave historical accuracy behind in favor of our own imaginings, it is hard to stop and we see it taking a more harmful turn in the next distorted image. Secondly, Mary the prostitute. Historically, Mary Magdalene as a prostitute has been the most popular image of Mary. And this is the image of her that still persists in popular culture. It would not matter if she'd been a prostitute, Jesus welcomed and forgave prostitutes as he welcomed and forgave many types of sinners. It just happens not to be true. Belief that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute was the result of a confusion and conflation of characters that ironically a pope is partly responsible for. Mary Magdalene came to be identified with Mary of Bethany, whom we thought about for the fifth Sunday of Lent, together with the sinful woman of Luke chapter seven. Pope Gregory I in the sixth century himself made this identification in a sermon, although it is one that was already around at the time. Pope Gregory, however, in confirming it, gave authority to it. The image of Mary Magdalene as a prostitute stuck, and it is still with us. People love this image of Mary Magdalene, and it is deeply rooted in popular culture. It is an image that has been the basis for paintings, books, films, and even musicals. I've had so many men before. The character of Mary Magdalene sings in Jesus Christ Superstar, and that's how people often identify her. It is, however, a false identification. Mary of Magdala and Mary, Mary of Bethany are two different people, and neither of them is the sinful woman of Luke chapter 7. Thirdly, Mary the submissive woman. As well as the image of her as a prostitute, who not only has demons cast out of her by Jesus, but is also forgiven by him, 
The next image sees Mary Magdalene as having gone on to become a kind of female groupie on the road with Jesus. Those of a more traditional type of faith would not, of course, describe her like that. But in their portrayal of her, she certainly doesn't appear as an independent person in her own right. In the best versions of this particular distorted image, she is depicted as looking after Jesus and offering support to him and to his male disciples. More sinisterly, those who take this approach often use the image of Mary Magdalene and others like her to argue that women should submit to men and take a role in society that is subordinate to them. A recent book by a woman on the Catholic understanding of the role and place of women argues just that. It is called Ask Your Husband. While it is true that the women did minister to Jesus' needs, this image is also used to imply there are limits to the sort of ministry that women should be allowed to perform. Specifically, it is an image that has been used in the past to justify women not being allowed to be ordained or to preach. The question of what role women should have in ministry is one that the church has different views on. Anglicans, for example, ordain women as priests, Roman Catholics don't. The fact, however, that Mary Magdalene took the role of supporting Jesus doesn't offer support one way or another. Jesus himself was with us as one who serves. As we saw on Monday, Thursday, Watching his disciples' feet was one of the last things Jesus did before his arrest. Fourthly, Mary, the wife of Jesus. A twist on Mary, the prostitute image, is that of Mary, the girlfriend or wife of Jesus. This has become popular in recent years, not least thanks to the works of fiction, such as The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. Brown suggested in the book that Mary and Jesus were married and that Mary had had his child. Fearing for the safety of her child, she had fled with the child to France. In some versions of Mary, the wife of Jesus, the wedding at Cana of Galilee was the marriage of Jesus and Mary. This particular demon can have a field day with this image and people are attracted to the image and to the story that accompanies it. Because, after all, who doesn't love a good romance? But it is romantic fiction. Dan Brown tried to argue that while he was writing fiction, it was fiction all based on fact. Sadly, if you tell people a lie often enough, they will come to believe it. And we know who Jesus himself described as the father of lies. It is perhaps then little wonder that this particular lie is so popular. There is no reason theologically why Jesus shouldn't have been married and every reason to suppose he found women attractive and they him. Jesus was fully human and if sexuality is part of being human, Jesus must also have been a sexual person. Believers may get nervous at this sort of talk, but probably that is simply because we have a deficient understanding of the incarnation and what it means. The incarnation means Jesus becoming like us. But while there is no reason why Jesus could not have been married, there is no evidence that he was. It is just pure fantasy and a dangerous fantasy because it takes our minds off the story of Jesus and what he came to do and domesticates it into a story of romantic fiction. 
but it is just that, fiction. Fifthly, Mary the Apostle. Exercising the demons that have given us the different images I have described, although not easy, is nevertheless possible simply by looking at the evidence, or lack of it. But there are now new ones that are, if anything, even more difficult to get rid of, even if they are no more historically based than before. So far, the different images of Mary that we've looked at have all in their different ways seen Mary as being dependent on and subject to men. But that is no longer the spirit of our age. So it is perhaps not surprising that the nature of the distortions of Mary's image should have changed to make her image now conform to that of the world we live in. One of the most popular images of Mary Magdalene in the church at the moment is that of Mary the Apostle. It was St. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century who described Mary as the apostle to the apostles, even if he didn't mean by that phrase what more modern users of it mean by it. Ironically, it is another more recent Pope who has given support to this image. Pope Francis elevated the memory of Mary Magdalene to the status of a feast on July 22nd, 2016, in order to stress her importance, affirming her title as an apostle. People find the image of Mary Magdalene an attractive image because, again, it is one we want to believe in. It is an image of Mary that has been seized upon to justify women's ordination and to argue for the elevation of women to positions of leadership in the church. But again, the image itself says more about us and the age we live in than it does about Mary Magdalene herself. In the same way that it is wrong to use the submissive image of Mary as a justification for restricting women's ministry, so too it is wrong to use her image to justify removing all restrictions. Those who want to use Mary Magdalene's image to promote their view of women's ministry claim that Jesus valued men and women equally, which he did, and that he commissioned both men and women to be apostles, which he didn't. The risen Jesus in our gospel reading told Mary Magdalene to go and tell the disciples what he had said to her, and this shows trust. He did not tell her to go and preach the gospel. She is not even called a disciple in the gospels, however legitimate we may feel it is to describe her as such. Sixthly, Mary the assertive feminist. In the same way that the image of Mary the submissive woman builds on the image of Mary the prostitute, so too this image of Mary the assertive feminist builds on that of Mary the Apostle. For many, Mary has become a feminist icon. They see her as strong, independent, confident, and able to hold her own as an equal to the men. Feminists in the church find inspiration in this image and use it in their attacks on traditional understandings and approaches to women. They look to Mary Magdalene for support in dismantling what they see as patriarchal structures in society and the church. In the same way that those who are attracted to the image of Mary the prostitute are not bothered by a lack of historical evidence, so too those attracted to Mary as an assertive feminist are not too bothered either. Mary was doubtless strong, but she certainly does not fit the image of someone who has broken free from the limitations that a patriarchal society places on women, or even that of someone who would want to. 
what would that even look like in the first century? Quite how we get from providing for the men out of her resources to being a feminist icon is perhaps a question for another day. The fact remains that as much as we may not like it, the society Jesus lived in was patriarchal, and as much as we may today want to free society from patriarchy and change it in our own day, we should not do so by changing the image of Mary to fit our own modern-day prejudices and beliefs. Seventhly, Mary the saint for today. And so we come to the ultimate exaltation of Mary Magdalene, now no longer the prostitute submissively following Christ, not even simply a disciple equal to the other disciples. The image of Mary for today is not just as the apostle to the apostles, but the apostle of the apostles. To quote from one reputable website, her status as an apostle in the years after Jesus' death rivaled even that of Peter. No evidence is given for such a breathtaking assertion but who needs evidence when it's what you want to hear? Mary has become what one British newspaper described as the figure from the Bible for the Me Too era. It has been quite a journey for someone whose image for many years was that of a previously possessed prostitute who provided for Jesus. But whether the image is that of the repentant prostitute or a divinely appointed apostle, the images are distortions that hide rather than reveal the Mary Magdalene of the Gospels. What is clear is that at different times, these different images have made Mary Magdalene attractive to different people for different reasons. We find ourselves irresistibly drawn to her, or more accurately, to the image we have of her. It will need another sermon on another day to explore the reasons for this. Having attempted to banish the distorted images which prevent us seeing St. Mary Magdalene as she is, I want to offer three words that I think describe her and so allow her to speak to us about our relationship with the Lord. Firstly, faithful. Something that St. Mary Magdalene shares with the Blessed Virgin Mary, who we looked at on Good Friday, is that she is faithful. Sadly, today, the two women are seen to be in contradiction of one another. The website I have just quoted also says this, Christians may worship the Blessed Virgin, but it is Magdalene with whom they identify. For many, St. Mary Magdalene is the complete opposite to the Blessed Virgin Mary. While the Blessed Virgin Mary is commonly portrayed as submissive and sexless, Mary Magdalene is seen as strong and sexy. Of course, a generation obsessed with sex is going to prefer a woman it can portray in its own image to one who seems to sit in judgment on it. The truth is that both women are being misrepresented by many who claim them for their own. Mary Magdalene submitted herself to the will of God no less than the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the sexuality of either woman is of no interest to the New Testament writers, not because it is unimportant, but because the writers had more other pressing concerns and saw in both women not models of sexuality, but models of faith. Again, as we saw on Good Friday, the Blessed Virgin Mary willingly heard the word of God and kept it. St. Mary Magdalene did exactly the same. Both women experienced both joy and pain as a consequence. 
Both were united in faith, as together they watched as the one they loved and served died an agonizingly painful death, and both were rewarded by our Lord for their faith and commitment. The Blessed Virgin Mary, by being given to the church as its mother, and St. Mary Magdalene by being given the privilege of being the first to witness and announce the resurrection. Both women are a precious gift to the church and models of faith. They both give us an example and a challenge, an example of acceptance and submission, which perhaps men more than women need to see and learn from, and a challenge to us all to turn away from the constant search for self-fulfillment that our age is so desperate to pursue, and instead, to devote ourselves to the service of him who gave his own life for others. Secondly, devoted. We would expect someone who had been so severely disturbed as Mary Magdalene had been to be devoted to the one who healed her. In whatever way we understand demon possession today, what Mary was suffering from before Jesus freed her was obviously extremely serious. On being healed by Jesus, she became part of a group of women who were deeply attached to Jesus and who within the confines of the society of their day sought to support him and those closest to him in his work. To do this meant traveling with him and being with him in Jerusalem for the last days of his life. They watched him die, which in itself must have been a distressing and deeply disturbing ordeal. Mary Magdalene was not the only woman there at the crucifixion, nor is it true to say that there were no men present. Yet again, as we saw on Good Friday, the beloved disciple was there with the Blessed Virgin Mary. What is true is that the women weren't there because of what Jesus taught, or because of what they hoped he would do, or even simply out of a desire to be obedient to God's word, but because of what he meant to them. Their commitment wasn't to a political or religious ideology or to a code of ethics, but to Jesus himself. The women continued to show their devotion to Jesus after his death. They were not the only ones to do so. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were the first, but the women did so without hesitation or reservation, and in doing so showed their personal devotion to him. I think it is fair to say that it is still the case that women are more open and consistent in their commitment to Jesus. I realize that this is a sensitive and controversial subject and that anything said can easily be misunderstood or cause offense. However, it has certainly been my own experience that it is often women who keep the church going and who are willing to perform tasks which are important but which the men are often unwilling to do. Women, in turn, have often found in Jesus a person they can relate and respond to. It was true during his ministry, and it seems to have been true historically. In the second century, for example, a pagan writer made the accusation that the church's message was attractive only to the foolish, dishonorable, and stupid, only slaves, women, and little children. It seems always to have been the case that women have been disproportionately attracted to the church. In the mystical tradition of the church, which puts a strong emphasis on the presence of God and entering a relationship with him, women are especially represented. The four women doctors of the church are all mystics, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Hildegard von Bingen, St. Teresa of Avila, and St. Teresa of Lisieux. They each expressed a devotion to Jesus that also characterized Mary Magdalene 
in her relationship to Jesus. St. Mary Magdalene challenges both women and men to a similar devotion to Jesus. Thirdly, intimate. Which brings me to my final point, and here it gets dangerous. Dangerous, that is, because of the risk of being misunderstood. It is, however, a risk worth taking because it is a risk that St. John himself takes in our reading. Mary Magdalene has been to the tomb with the other women as it is described in the first three Gospels and referred to in the fourth. They have told the men of their experience there and how they have found the tomb empty. The disciples all rush to the tomb to see what the women are talking about. St. John describes the beloved disciple looking into the tomb and Peter going in. They both see the linen wrappings lying there and the tomb empty. No one knows what to make of it, despite what the angels have said to the women. Two unnamed disciples on the road to Emmaus later express their confusion. They say, moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, we should not blame them for being confused. All this is outside their experience and unlike anything they have ever come across before. St. John writes simply that they did not understand the scripture. I can't imagine we would have been any wiser. After the disciples have all left and gone to their homes, Mary Magdalene alone remains in the garden. She stands outside the tomb weeping. As she weeps, she looks into the tomb, still weeping, and sees two angels where Jesus' body has been lying. They ask her, woman, why are you weeping? Her reply expresses her deep personal sense of loss. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She turns and sees the one she is looking for, but in her distress, she mistakes him for the gardener. Jesus asks her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? She asks him if he is responsible for taking him away and asks him where they have laid him. Jesus replies incredibly powerful. He simply speaks her name, Mary. She turns to him and recognizes him. Jesus is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for his sheep and who now calls them each by name. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Mary must have thrown her arms around him in joy, for Jesus tells her not to hold on to him, but instead she is to go to his brothers and tell them he is ascending to his father and their father, to his God and their God. Mary Magdalene understands his meaning. She goes not to his physical brothers, but to his disciples, to those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the first time Jesus has called the disciples his brothers. In the upper room at the Last Supper, he had called them friends. Now, however, as we saw on Good Friday, they are family. We too are invited to join the family, but before we can, we too must meet its head. He must call us by name, and we must hear and respond in faith, not intellectual faith, not even simply obedient faith, but with a personal faith. This is about relationship. In the Gospels, it is the women who seem most to understand this, and especially the three Marys. Mary, the mother of our Lord, Mary of Bethany, and Mary Magdalene. But this is not only an experience for women. Women may lead the way, but as the beloved disciples shows, we are all invited, women and men, 
into an intimate relationship with the risen Lord, a relationship he has made possible by his death for us and his blood shed for us. We may be looking for a cause to be committed to, a philosophy or creed to believe in, or a club to belong to, but what we are offered is a person to know and to love. Today, it is Mary Magdalene with the demons of distortion cast from her who shows us what such a relationship looks like. It is not about power and position, but a person. It's about the one who died for us, but who is alive and who calls us by name as he called Mary. Today, Mary, the Mary who saw the risen Lord in the garden, announces to us as she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. May we rejoice at her words and announce it to others. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.